guys. It's a little bit late, eight o'clock, one hour late. I had some stuff to do, and I apologize for yesterday. I had some other stuff to do, but here I am. From now on, if I'm not gonna be live on a certain day, I'm gonna publish, uh, put it on my Twitter account. Well, I'll put it on the Instagram account. It's Strange Days Live at Instagram. So I'll put it, um, I'll announce if I'm not going to be live on a certain day. I'll just put a, a little thing on the Instagram account. Uh, that account is Strange Days Live at Instagram. Give me a follow. And if I'm not going to be live, I'll put it there. I apologize. Uh, but you know what? I have things to do. I had a parent uh, meeting with one of my kids yesterday for some oopsie daisies that they had done. And today, I, my dad cooked for, for us, so can't say no to dad's cooking. So I went to, to the house, and I just got back an hour late. Forgive me. Um, how are you guys doing on this Friday? Ready for the four-day weekend? I was looking for prices to go out of town, and they're off the roof, uh, literally. Um, there's like two lakes nearby, but, uh, you know, it's like 500, 400 bucks a, a night. So I said, no, I'm just going to probably kick back and stay home. Anyways, I hope you guys are having or doing something fun this weekend for the four to, well, three-day weekend. Uh, they're always fun. And sometimes they just kind of go too fast. This is also the NBA All-Star Weekend. So I hope you guys, if you like sports, you'll be able to watch that. Other than that, thank you guys for joining me a little bit late. But uh, here we are. I really don't have anything planned for tonight. So I guess we'll, be, we'll do what we always been doing and that is just kind of reading strange things and telling strange stories so it seems that I'm, I'm good at that um yeah so again you guys know how to reach me i'll put the invite here and if you guys want to come in and join that'll be kind of cool for those listeners that have been here for a while come on back hey roxy nice to have you here have a uh, a good Friday night. I hope you're having a great Friday night. Thank you for taking your time to listen to us. If you guys want to go ahead and hop uh, into the show, talk one-on-one. Um, I don't know. Just uh, that'll be kind of a fun format if you guys feel brave. And it's not scary. I turn off the camera so your face is not. It, it'll basically be like you're talking to somebody on the phone. So a couple of options. You can either scan the QR code that will bring you in through the, um, the WhatsApp. Or you can call the number uh, 951-888-0313. 951-888-0313. And those are all uh, ways that you guys can reach us. We're transmitting live in the in the other channel as well. So welcome, everybody. So um, I've had some fun kind of, you know, revising uh, the unknown, uh, the, the lesser known themes of the weird and paranormal because um, it's good to expose things that you know not that many people talk about so that's what I think I'm going to be doing today just to kind of read more weird stuff and you know that always open it opens um, avenues for us to talk about more weird stuff or personal experiences of you kind of chase the rabbit hole if you will so our first case from today will be the mysterious disappearance of Bryce Laspisa. Bryce, L-A-S-P-I-S-A, Laspisa. It's been a decade of unanswered questions. What happened to old Bryce? Let's take a look. 19-year-old Bryce Laspisa was last seen driving towards Castaic Lake, California. I know exactly where that is. It's probably about an hour and a half away from where I live. But his car was found wrecked with no signs of him. And one decade has passed, but no trace of brass Bryce has ever been found. Let me put the music here a little bit lower so as not to distract you. But I like to have music in the background. Um, and so I think that's a pleasant level. I just like to have something in the background. Okay, so the disappearance of Bryce Laspisa is a haunting mystery that has left investigators and his family baffled for over one decade. Bryce Laspisa is described as a bright 19-year-old college student with a promising future, but his life unfortunately took a dark turn, leading to an enigmatic vanishing on August 30th, 2013. 
This little story we're going to be reading today delves into the perplexing case and explores the timeline of events, possible theories, and the enduring search for answers. So, who is Bryce Laspisa? He was a young man born and raised in Illinois. He enjoyed a happy childhood filled with creativity and artistic talents. In 2012, he was 18 year old. He graduated from Naperville Central High School outside of Chicago, Illinois. His parents were newly retired and decided to move the family to California, settling in Nagula, Nagula, excuse me, Laguna Niguel, Orange County. Soon after arriving, Bryce moved north to Chico, California, just 90 miles past Sacramento. He was about to begin his freshman year studying graphic and industrial re, uh, design at a, at a college called Sierra College. In Bryce's first year at college, everything was going great. He did well in his classes. He became close friends with a roommate, Sean Dixon, and he started dating another student named Kim Sly. When the summer break came, he told his family, girlfriends, and friends how excited he was to go back to school. Everything seemed good, and he had a promising future ahead of him. When Bryce Lapisa came back to Sierra College two weeks before classes started again, he seemed full of energy and enthusiastic, very enthusiastic. Karen, his mom, talked to him on the phone, and it was just like any other normal conversation. He went to his classes, met up with his friends, but after a while, things started to change for Bryce, and it seemed like his life was starting to fall apart. <clears throat> Sean and Kim, the parents, began to notice subtle changes in how Bryce behaved. He started to become more quiet, he was a little bit unpredictable, uh, and he started demonstrating signs of sadness. Kim remembers that Bryce told her that he was taking Vivans, a medication for ADHD, even though he didn't have that condition. Now, you guys know that a lot of kids, unfortunately, use these stimulants in order for them to be able to stay awake longer, perhaps to, you know, be able to be on top of their classes to study for a longer amount of time. So it's not something that's unheard of. And uh, unfortunately, Bryce got into that same habit. This medication, however, can have serious side effects, <clears throat> like making people have psychotic disorders, feeling very sad or depressed, or abruptly getting too excited. Okay, so people that don't have any medical conditions shouldn't have anything uh you know, they shouldn't have anything to do with medications that's not prescribed for them. Lesson learned for, for here. There was a disturbing uh, turn that happened. So Sean Dixon, uh, which was Bryce's roommate, reported that uh, Bryce started also drinking strong alcohol every day, like a lot in a single weekend. <clears throat> Sean also confirmed what Kim had claimed about Bryce taking Vivens. So something happened. Bryce went back to school. He got into this Vivens, kicked. And after that, he got into alcohol. And his life just started kind of slowly, slowly spiraling out of control. Bryce actually confessed to Kim that he used the medication to stay awake and play video games, even though this worried her. But Bryce didn't seem to take these concerns very seriously. Something was clearly wrong, but nobody could actually figure out exactly what was going on with Bryce. Sean and Kim <clears throat> further said that Bryce started using Vivans a lot. So apparently he got hooked onto this thing, especially in the first two weeks of the fall semester, which became a big concern because he was using it very, very, very often. On August 27, he actually broke up with Kim by text message, saying that she'd be better off without him. Big warning sign. He also sent Sean an unusually heartfelt text message reading, I love you, bro. Seriously, you are the best person I've ever met. You saved my soul. That same day, he'd given Sean his Xbox and gave away a pair of diamond earrings given to him by his mom. So these are all very warning signs <clears throat> of somebody who's about to do something bad to himself. Okay, just so you guys know, they usually call people out of the blue. They start sending sentiments. They start giving their stuff away. So kind of you can prepare yourself that something's going on with Bryce here. On the 28th of August, Sean called Karen Lepisa to tell her that he was worried about her son. Later that night, Bryce called Karen. <clears throat> he was at Kim's home, and she was concerned enough about his behavior that she'd taken the keys to his 2003 Toyota Highlander away, believing that he was in no condition absolutely to drive. So Bryce informed his mom of the argument, and Karen quickly convinced Kim to return his keys 
and told her son to go straight home and go straight to bed. Karen offered to fly north to check on him, but his son told her not to come until he had spoken to her the very next day. I have a lot to talk to you about, he said. And after that, he left Kim's apartment at about 11.30 p.m. At 1 a.m. on August 29th, Bryce called his mom again. She thought that he was calling from his apartment, but later they found out that he was actually calling from a place that was an hour drive south of Rockland, where he was staying. Then at 11 a.m., she and her husband were notified that Bryce had used their insurance roadside assistance service. A man named Christian, owner of Castro Tires and Gas in the town of Buttonwillow, reported that he delivered three gallons of gasoline to their son after he ran out of fuel around 9 a.m. that morning. Christian offered to return the spot where he seen Bright, uh, offered to tell the couple there where the spot was that he was able to provide gas for his son. There, <clears throat> he discovered Bryce hadn't moved in hours. It had been about approximately about 13 hours. Christian approached to tell him that his parents were very worried and called them to let them know that their sons uh, of their son's new location. location. Bryce agreed to make the three-hour drive home and Christian watched as he drove off around 3 p.m. Hours passed and still the Lapisas hadn't heard from Bryce at all, so they reluctantly filed a missing person report with the Orange County Sheriff's Department in Southern California. By tracking his cell phone, two officers were able to locate him just a few miles where Christian had seen him last. The officers reported that they had seen um, that they that he seemed lucid and friendly and showed no sign of any kind of intoxication, nor were there any kind of drugs or alcohol found within the vehicle. The police told La Pisa that his parents were very worried about him, and um, when he seemed hesitant to call them, finally agreed so and called his parents. Karen told them to come home right away and called Christian to check on him. By this point, Michael and Karen were relieved when Christian called to confirm that their son had gotten back into the I-5, which is a freeway here in California, and headed south. At 2 a.m. on August 30, Bryce Lapisa called his mom one last time to tell her that he was too tired to drive anymore and would pull off the road for a nap. He mentioned that he was near Castake Lake, although his decision struck his family as odd and raised concern about his safety. They agreed with the decision and expressed to see him in the morning. But when the doorbell rang six hours later, it was not their sons that the Lapisas found at the doorstep, but this California Highway Patrol officer. The officer told the parents that Bryce's car was found abandoned in a ravine near Castic Lake a few hours later. His cell phone, his wallet, his laptop, his clothing were all inside the vehicle. It appeared that he had broken the car's back window and crawled out. The disappearance of Bryce Lapisa prompted executive efforts from investigators, law enforcement agency, and volunteers in the search for answers. And here are some key of the efforts made in the search for Bryce. From the beginning, that when Bryce was reported missing on August 29, 2013, local law enforcement agencies immediately launched an investigation. They later began by gathering information from his family, friends, and acquaintances to understand his state of mind or any potential leads at that time. Bryce's car was found abandoned on the roadside near Baker's, uh, Bakerfield on August 29, which became a crucial focal point of the investigation. Law enforcement conducted a thorough examination of the vehicle for any additional clues or evidence that might shed some light on the disappearance. Investigators were able to analyze Bryce's cell phone and electronic records to track his very movements leading up to and after the disappearance. They checked his call history, they went through his text messages, they checked all the internet activity for any kind of potential leads. However, um, even going as far as interviewing people who had interacted with uh, Bryce in the days leading up to his disappearance, they also reviewed surveillance footage from gas stations, from rest areas, and other locations to trace his, his, um, his movements. Extensive ground search were conducted in the areas where Bryce's car was found and other potentially relevant locations. Search and rescue teams combed through the rugged terrain, including Castake Lake and its surroundings, in the hopes of locating any possible trace of Bryce. 
Helicopter drones were deployed to conduct aerial searches while divers scour the waters of Castaic Lake. These efforts aim to cover a broader area and search for any clues, so they went all out for Bryce. At one point, actually, a burnt body was discovered near Castaic Lake, leading to initial speculation that it might be Bryce. However, this was later ruled out and the identity of the deceased individual was determined to be somebody else. To generate leads and information from the public, investigators and Bryce's family launched public awareness campaigns. They used social media, news outlets, and community outreach to share his story and seek tips from potential witnesses. There was also a reward offer for any tips or any um, indications to where he might be. Give me one second, guys. A reward was offered with information leading to Bryce's whereabout or the resolution of the case in hopes for incentivizing people with crucial information to come forward. But um, unfortunately, despite extensive efforts, uh, Bryce's disappearance remains unsolved up until this day, leaving his family and investigators with lingering questions and uncertainties. The case remains open and authorities continue to encourage anyone with information to come forward, hoping to one day bring closure to this mysterious case. Give me one second before we go into the theme. Okay, so going on with the story here. Uh, there were alleged sightings of Bryce in other locations in weather in uh, including one in Missoula, Montana. However, these sightings turned out not to be him, and over the years numerous theories have engaged and emerged in an attempt to shed light on Bryce's mysterious disappearances. Some speculate that he intended to start a new life, while others suggest a psychotic break triggered by drug use. There's also unsettling possibilities that his remains have not yet been discovered, leaving his fate up until today very uncertain. Now, a decade has passed since Bryce Lapisa went missing near Castic Lake. His parents, Karen and Michael Lapisa, continue to search for answers and hope for closure. They're tirely, tirely advocating for information and urging anyone with knowledge of Bryce's whereabouts or circumstances leading to his disappearing. The enigma of Bryce Lapisa's disappearance serves as a chilling reminder of how quickly it can uh, the unexpected and devastating things in life take a, a dark turn. A young man with immense potential, Bryce's journey took, took a perplexing path, leaving his family with many unanswered questions that haunt him to this day. And as the case remains open, the search for truth and closure continues, offering a glimmer of hope that one day the mystery of Brian of Bryce will be finally recovered. So that story was published in 2022, so a year ago. And there's still an active Facebook group, actually. If you go to facebook.com forward slash find Brian, excuse me, find Bryce Lapisa, you'll be able to um, to see everything about this particular case. The last posting uh, was in November 27, 2023. So it's been, it's pretty active. Every couple of years, they put more stuff and more stuff. Must be heartbreaking, heartbreaking for the family. Looked like a, like a nice young man, you know, um, with a family that's devastated. So yeah, that's, that's very sad. So let me go here with, because they also have a Reddit's always pretty cool. Reddit also has uh, a posting on on Brian under unsolved mysteries for you guys that would like to maybe read a little bit more about the case, or maybe if you guys have ever encountered anything uh, as such. You know, it's good that there's a, a lot of um, hope out there for people that are you know living with uh, with the fact of dealing with somebody who has gone lost. Let's see here. Hey, Rafa, how are you? Good to have you on the show.
Okay, let's see here. So what other cases do we have? Yeah, that was pretty sad, man. And, and that's close to home, you know? Um, let's talk about another disappearance. There's another one here that we'll, we'll talk about. And this is the mysterious disappearance of Emma Filipov. Emma Filipov was a 26-year-old, or it is a 26-year-old, that disappeared from a Vancouver hotel in November of 2012. So she'd be 37, 36, or 37 right now. Despite receiving hundreds of tips, Victoria police have been unable to confirm any report sighting of Filipov. Uh, what happened to her? So Emma Filipov uh, disappears remains one of the most puzzling cases in recent Canadian history. On November 28, 2012, this 26-year-old woman vanished from the Empress Hotel in Vancouver, Canada, leaving behind a trail of unanswered questions that have haunted her family and authorities for many years. She's a very beautiful woman. I'm going to take a picture here and put it on the cast. Maybe somebody has seen uh, this lady, right? All right, let's see a picture of her here. Boom. Emma, Emma Philip off. Should have put a picture of Bryce too, but okay. So that's her very beautiful girl, 26 year old. Um, so what happened to her? What could have, how strange of a case are we kind of talking about here? Let's okay. So Emma Philip, Emma arrived in Victoria in the fall of 2011 from Perth, Ontario, seeking new opportunities and a fresh start. She briefly found employment at a seafood restaurant, but in October of 2012, she abruptly left her job seemingly without any clear reason whatsoever. Her behavior, just like Bryce's, became uh, increasingly erratic uh, as she hired a tow truck in November 2012 to move her car to a parking garage, indicating that she had intentions to return to Ontario to her family. So something happened. She didn't really like the move. Uh, she became very erratic. She had a car parked and then her and she kind of intended to go back home. But unbeknownst to anyone to, uh, in her family, uh, Emma uh, had been staying at the Sandy Merriman house, a woman's shelter since February of that year. So she was kind of staying at a shelter doing weird things. The reason behind her secrecy remains unknown up to this day, but it sheds light on her travel state of mind. On November 23rd, she was captured on security footage at the Victoria YMCA, entering and leaving multiple times, possibly trying to evade somebody who, was, who happened to be outside. This behavior only added to the growing concern about her well-being. During this period, uh, Emma frequently made phone calls to her mom, Shelly, initially expressing a desire to come home, but later, later, uh, later changing her mind. Her mom, growing increasingly worried, discovered through her own investigation that Emma had been staying at the shelter. So she immediately made, made plans to fly out to Victoria and help her daughter. On the day of her mom's arrival on November 28, Emma was last seen by the Victoria police at the Empress Hotel just three hours before her mom reached her shelter. The Sandy Merriman House, that's the shelter that she was staying at. This fleeting encounter with law enforcement will be the last confirmed sighting of Emma. Minutes later, she was captured on video purchasing a prepaid cell phone and a prepaid credit card for $200. It was a perplexing move that added another layer of mystery to her disappearance. Emma uh, left the shelter around 6 p.m. that evening and hailed a taxi to the airport. However, she abruptly left the taxi claiming she didn't have enough fare, despite having the prepaid card with her. Shortly after leaving the taxi, uh, Emma was spotted walking barefoot in front of the Empress Hotel. Concerned witness called 911, reporting that somebody seemed very distressed and the police arrived and spoke to Emma for about 45 minutes, ultimately making the determination that she was not a threat either to herself or to others and promptly releasing her. No one reported seeing her after 8 p.m. that night, so that was like the last interaction that we know of. It wasn't until midnight of that evening when Shelly Flipoff, her mom, realized her daughter was missing and reported it to the police. From that moment on, a frantic search for Emma uh, commenced. There had been over 200 leads uh, at that time, that which were all explored, but minimal information about her disappearance uh, emerged. Uh, her credit card was found on the side of the road near the area where she vanished. 
but she was never really seen living Victoria. Uh, her life in Victoria seemed to be marked by a sense of despair, very evident from poems that she wrote uh, during the time there. While they indicated signs of depression, there was no clear evidence of any kind of uh, ideations that she would harm herself. Instead, they painted a picture of a woman grappling with her inner demons and navigating a very tumultuous period in her life. Sixteen future futile months had passed in search of missing Emma, uh, and in May of 2014, a man stormed into a clothes store, a clothing store in Gastow, British Columbia, and threw out an Emma missing person poster, saying Emma was his girlfriend. The store owner Joel and Lori Sellen said that they got a very creepy vibe from that man, and called the police right away to report this incident. While security cameras captured the man, the quality and angle didn't help the police, and they still have no clue who this man was. Adding to the complexity of this case, uh, uh, Emma's mom and brother faced unrelated charges in 2016. However, all the charges against her mom were dropped, clearing her of any involvement in Emma's disappearance. The investigation into Emma's disappearance has hit numerous dead ends, leaving her family and the community very desperate for answers. Another promising lead actually came in 19, uh, excuse me, in 2018 from a man named William, who claims to have been given uh, Emma a ride the morning after she was reported missing. According to William, he dropped uh, Emma at the intersection of Craig Flower Road and Admiral Road near the Petro-Canada gas station at 5.15 a.m. However, an extensive search, including Shelley Flipoff, uh, calling the famous search dog handler Kim Cooper yielding, uh, yielded no significant results leading to further frustrations and confusion for everybody. On the ninth anniversary of Emma's disappearance in November of 2021, Victoria Police released a new photo of her hoping to generate fresh leads that could make this mystery unravel. Despite receiving hundreds of tips over the years, none have been able to confirm sightings. To this day, Emma remains, um, whereabouts remain a mystery. She was a transient individual, often living in nomadic lifestyle, sometimes sleeping in the woods, sometimes on boats. This coupled with her evasive behavior has compounded the difficulty in locating her. Authorities continue to urge anyone with information to come forward and contact the Victoria Police Department. Sad how all these disappearances are just horrible. Let's see here. Telling the hey Brad Brad Pitbull, good to have you here, buddy. Thank you for joining us, man. Let's see. Um I'm just trying to find other stories so we can read. Let's see. A sacred jade ring was found on a young sacrifice, Mayan, buried in a jar. That sounds pretty interesting. Sacred jade ring found on young sacrifice, Mayan, buried in jar. Archaeologists unearthed ancient secrets. Uh, there was a Mayan skeleton with a sacred ring made out of jade found in Mexico. A new groundbreaking discovery, archaeologists have stumbled upon the remains of a young sacrificed Mayan with a beautiful jade ring in the state of Campeche, Mexico. This remarkable find was made during the recent excavations at the enchanting Maya city of El Tigre, revealing stunning insight into the ancient civilization's cultural practices. El Tigre, also known as um, its... its um, it's some Kanak, or the place of the lizard serpent, serve as both a trading, a ceremonial center. This ancient city was established during the middle pre-classic period and remained occupied until the Spanish conquest. With a strategic location near uh, Rio Candelaria, El Tigre thrived as a political capital of the province of Alcalan, attracting traders far and wide. The National Institute of Anthropology and History reported that the skeleton adorned with a sizable jade ring was discovered in structure one of El Tigre's archaeological zone. Researchers believe that this burial belonged to a young individual from the late classical period 
opening a hidden door to the Mayan civilization between 600 and 800 AD. Jade held immense cultural and symbolic significance in Mesoamerica civilization, from religious rituals to the social hierarchy, fertility, life, and the cosmos. Jade played a pivotal role in shaping the artistic, social, and religious landscape of ancient cultures. Its symbolism often transcended death, as evident by this unremarkable discovery. The jade ring, carefully placed inside a sacred vessel, exemplifies the Mayans' reverence for this precious stone. Beyond its visual beauty, jade held profoundly importance in their spiritual and religious belief. The discovery gives us a glimpse into the rituals and beliefs associated with death and the afterline, uh, afterlife along and among the ancient Mayan people. That was cool. I actually thought it, that jade was probably gonna not be a material that was very common to uh, to Maya culture. I thought that probably would have been. Uh, that's why I kind of read this story. I don't know that it was it was it was a common uh, thing to find, but anyways. I'm still trying to find some cool stories for you guys that I can read here. So I hope you guys are doing good. Having a nice Friday and listening to me is pretty, pretty nice of you guys. And if you have any questions, let me just go here to the top. If you have any questions, go ahead and post them. Or if you have any cool cases that you guys might want to discuss, feel free. I'll bring you on. I'm still searching for cool stuff. All right, let me go back to my other default page that I usually go to. Uh, the other one, this one talks more about weird. Uh, it's a very kind of like, it just barely touches on, on the subject. So it gives you ample time to look at it on your own. This is called the third man. Uh, the third man or the third man factor. It's a name given to an unseen presence reported mainly by mountain climbers and hikers throughout history. The witnesses all find themselves behaving as if an extra person were present who is not really there and is not actually seen directly. Often this sense or presence is so strong among all that they find themselves preparing food and bedding for the third man. Despite the name, this phenomena occurs in parties of all kinds of numbers of climbers, including lone climbers, polar explorers, and shipwreck survivors. Also, while often asserted to be a universally helpful phenomena by some authors, there are plenty of accounts of neutral or outright malevolent third man presence, such as the Gray Man of Ben McDewey and the Panic in the Woods story. There are several explanations as to what the phenomena could be. One of them is a psychic phenomena. They're paranormal entities. They're probably magnetic fields. And it can do because of the fact that the, the climbers are usually low on oxygen. It can be the altitude sickness um, or a manifestation of other unconscious uh, effects. Uh, one sighting happened on the 20th of May of 1916 as Mr. Ernest Shackleton, Frank Worsley, and Tom Crean reached Stormness, a whaling station on the north coast of South Georgia. They had been walking for 36 hours in life-threatening conditions in an attempt to reach help for the rest of their party. Three of their crew were struck, uh, were stuck on the south side of the island, with the remaining stranded on Elephant Island. To reach the whaling station, the three men had to cross the island's mountains in mountainous interior with just a rope and an axe in a journey that few had attempted before or since. By reaching Stromness, they managed to save all the men left from the ill-fated Imperial Transarctic Trans Expedition. They did not talk about it at the time, but weeks later, all three men reported an uncanny experience during their trek, a feeling that often there were four, not three of them, on their journey. The fourth member that had accompanied uh, them 
had the silent presence of a real person, someone walking with them by their side as far as the whaling station, but no further. Mr. Shackleton was apparently deeply affected by the experience, but would say little about it in subsequent years, considering something which can never be spoken of. Shackleton's account left an impression at the modernist poet T.S. Eliot, and he wrote a piece on the phenomena from where it gets his name. Who is the third who walks always behind you? Who, when I count, there are only you and I together. But when I look up ahead the white road, there's, there I is always another one walking beside you, glidely wrapped in a brown mantle, hooded. I don't know whether a man or a woman, but who is that on the other side of you? And if you guys know, T.S. Eliot is the, the, the writer um, of The Outsiders. You guys remember that uh, book? Probably had to read it. Uh, wait, I'm, I'm stick my foot in my mouth. Actually, no, that's not T.S. Eliot. Let's see what works T.S. Eliot is, is famous for. Uh, yeah, mostly probably take that back. It wasn't. Uh, no, it's just a lot of poetry. Anyways, isn't that a cool, weird phenomena? Other people that have experienced uh, this third man phenomena is Charles Lindbergh, wrote on, uh, of uh, onboard phantom students his 1927 attempt to make the first solo nonstop transatlantic flight from New York to Paris. As the pilot struggled to stay awake during the 33-hour flight, he felt that his companions were friendly and helpful. They were conversing and advising him on his flight, reassuring him. He wrote about it later. In 1933, British explorer Frank Smith almost became the first person to reach the summit of Mount Everest. The journey to the top of the mound was arduous and nearly disastrous. His entire hiking party had fallen back. Unable to make it through the sweeping wind, snow, ice, and low oxygen, Smith continued but never made it to the top. He missed it by a mere 1,000 feet. Later, writing in his diary, Smith describes something the scientists commonly referred to as the third man factor. He recounted how at one point of the ascent, he reached into his pocket, pulled out a slab of mint cake, broke it in half, and turned around to give it to the other uh, half of the companion and give the other half to the companion, but there was no one there. All the time I was climbing alone, I had a strong feeling that I was accompanied by a second person. The feeling was so strong that it completely eliminated all loneliness I might otherwise have felt. Could it have been a guardian angel? That's really cool, the third man. Let's see. Let's talk about it. Well, let me go man the four lines. Uh, I mean, man the comment section. Okay. Giglioli's whale is a purported species of whale observed by Enrico Gigliogli. It is described to have two dorsal fins, a feature which no other whale have. Uh, however, the rhinoceros dolphin, which is also a cryptid, possesses this feature. So this is basically a whale that was sighted that had uh, two fins in the back as opposed to one. The whale looked overall similar to a rockall, uh, 60 feet, about 18 meters long with an elongated body. But the most notable difference was the presence of two large dorsal fins about 6.5 feet or 2 meters apart. No known whale uh, have twin dorsal fins. Uh, the only, uh, all of them will have single fins and some uh, whales don't have fins at all. Other unusual features include the presence of two long sickle-shaped flippers and a lack of furrow presence under the, the throat of the whale. The sighting occurred on September 4th, 1867 on board of a ship called the Magenta, about 1200 miles off the coast of Chile. The zoologist spotted a species of whale that he could not recognize. It was very close to the ship and uh, was observed for a quarter of an hour, allowing Giogli to make very detailed observations. The whale looked overall similar to a rockal whale, uh, about 60 feet or 18 meters long with an elongated body, but the most notable feature was the presence of two dorsal fins. Um, another report of two finned whale of roughly the same size was recorded, was recorded by the ship Lily, 
off the coast of Scotland the following year. In 1983, between Corsica and the French mainland, French zoologist Jacques Maigret Senat uh, sighted a similar-looking creature. Yeah, so for me, they, they, these these whales are they could be probably um, like a deformity. You know, they probably just had a, some kind of deformity that they have a, an extra an extra fin. But uh, nonetheless, it would, it would be kind of interesting to uh, to see one of these guys. Let's go to what is this airborne frogman? What is an airborne? The airborne frogman. This is in uh, North America, also known as the Coney Island monster was a strange humanoid creature reportedly sighted by many residents of Coney Island, New York City. At least that was until the summer of 1880 when something else decided to frolic as well. The thing was that was seen was flying several hundred feet above the waters. Hundreds saw it and it was described as a mostly human-looking uh, species with large bat wings on the legs of a frog. Um, as the wings flapped, a loud sound so it could be heard. Most fascinated, still more terrifying, uh, they dubbed it the Coney Island Monster. It was described as having a man's body attached to bat's wings and improved frog legs. The creature is said to have been a cruel expression despite the fact that uh, it supposedly flew at about a thousand feet up in the air. I've never heard of the airborne frogman. Let me make it a little bit more. That's pretty interesting into it. Let's see. No, there's not much stuff, unfortunately. That's like the only entry. Huh. So that was the airborne frogman of North America. The Georgia stocks. What are the Georgia stocks? The Georgia Stocks sighting was an ET sighting that took place in July of 1951. The witness pilot, Fred Reagan, was flying his Piper Club over Georgia when he felt a mysterious force pull his plane upward, crashing it into the unidentified flying object. The hovering creature, or perhaps robot, apologized to him for the accident, gave him a quick medical exam and informed him that he had had uh, that that they had, um, goodness, I'm sorry, an informer that they had, and that he had, he was already cured of cancer. That makes no sense. I guess uh, George Stocks had cancer, and that once these creatures took care of him, they told him that his cancer was gone. Um, but actually, he reports that he never knew that he had this cancer. Fred was eventually found unconscious in a field without so much as a scratch. The wreckage of his plane was nearby. Its engine was buried almost six feet into the ground, having fallen a thousand feet. Finding himself uh, inside a strange craft, he encountered three distinct entities, roughly about three feet in height, which he likened to a giant metallic stock of asparagus. Eleven months later, Reagan died mysteriously of degenerating brain tissue, a symptom of overexposure to atomic radiation. Wow, that's sad. I mean, they, they cured him, but then he died from the expel. Poor guy. The ghost bust of Highway 93, also known as the ghost bust of Union Pass or the Green Weeper, is supposed to be a phantom bus that haunts the area along US 93 between Wickenburg and Wikiap, Arizona. The bus is rumored to be bus 777, which sometimes vanishes uh, in 2002. No one knows what happened to the passengers. Only the driver, Joe, was found. He was wandering on the shoulder of Arizona Highway 68 looking for the bus. He was incoherent. And he said that he last saw his bus in Union Pass, which is on Highway 68, north of Kingman. Supposedly, soon after the bus air conditioner failed, Joe pulled over at the rest stop. He told the passengers that he was driving to, Gamble, uh, to Laughlin, Nevada, and that the bus was losing power, and he could either turn back or call for another bus. 
The passengers refused, and Joe continued on with the bus, as hot as an oven, eventually coming to a stop. As the bus climbed the grade towards Union Pass, the power began to drain very quickly, and Joe was having difficulty getting the few the bus up the pass. He finally pulled onto the shoulder and told his angry passengers that he could take them no further. The passengers reportedly mutinied. The next thing he knew, he was standing on the side of the road as the passengers pushed bus 777 over the hill and climbed aboard as gravity took over. And this was the last of the bus was ever, ever heard. Huh. So somebody, the passengers, people are going on a trip to Laughlin to gamble. The bus can't handle it. Um, you know, the driver gives them a choice. They opt to keep going. The bus finally breaks down. The passengers kick the driver out, take over the bus. The bus is never seen again. Plausible. They probably just, who knows what they did with the bus. They probably drove it into a ravine or something. And then they went ahead and, you know, gambled. Um, what is this thing here? The Black Star Penguins were a group of strange humanoids encountered by a man named Robert Lawrence and his friend while on a hunting trip in 1995. The two teenagers looked up at an exposed area on the side of the canyon and noticed a group of creatures walking together. The creatures seemed to be walking in unison, heading down the hillside and stopping simultaneously in intervals. The creatures were described as being all black in color and walking in a formation. Lawrence estimated their height to be approximately two feet tall, and they were upright creatures. He claimed that they possessed a waddling gait similar to penguins. That was kind of a cool story. Like I said, these stories are very short. If you guys want to do, um, you know, if you guys get interested by one of these stories, go ahead and research it on your own. I'm sure you will love them. So I just kind of exposed them really briefly, and, um, you know, here we are. Let's see here. I'm going to put a picture up because this is pretty interesting. Let me upload it. This is about, oh, I hate that. What does it save it on that? This is about a, a handprint that it was, that's been uh, found at a local jail. And I'll put it here. Okay, this strange handprint in the middle here, you can see it has one, two, three, four, five fingers. This is... Um, just call the um, handprint of the Carbon County Jail. This is a strange phenomena that has manifested in the Carbon County Jail cell number 17 during one of the Molly Maguire trials. The inhabitant of cell 17 vehemently proclaimed as innocent, but he was sentenced to death anyways. On hanging day, before he was taken from his cell, he slapped his hand dirty from the cell floor on the wall and exclaimed, This is the hand of an innocent man. His handprint remains and came and comes back after it was scrubbed off. Over the next century, the cell was cleaned, repainted, replastered, and always it reappears after a day or so. This hand is still there to this day and on exhibit at the Oil Jail Museum uh, housed at the Old Carbon County Jailhouse. Super cool, man. That's a cool story. So, yeah, so this dude said, you know what, I'm innocent and this hand's always going to be here. Or this hand kept being there ever since after that, proving that he was an innocent man. Okay, so we're getting close to the end of the show. As you guys know, I'm only doing uh, an hour shows. Uh, let's see here. And these are just all very st uh, strange and rapid cases. This is the blue albino woman. The blue albino woman is a disturbing specter 
rumored to haunt the Rochester Cemetery in Topeka, Kansas. She is said to devour human flesh. Supposedly, the ghost was once a normal person. Since she was albino, she had a strange and unique physical appearance, and she stood easily among the crowd. She was often teased and tormented about her looks. A group of men thought for sure that she was a witch, so they dug out a grave for her, shoved her in it, and buried her alive. Many people believe her horrible death is the main reason why the woman is so angry and violent towards people. Sometimes she can be seen roaming the streets of Topeka. From afar, she just looks like a harmless and frail elderly lady, but the closer she gets to you, the more you notice how deformed she looks. She has a strange bluish pale pigment, rotting atrocious skin, red eyes, sharp teeth, and a long white hair. Many people who dare to visit the Rochester Cemetery at night usually encounter her. She often runs them off. Some people who don't make it say that the woman will devour them. She's even allegedly been seen arising from the ground. Notable accounts. James George reported his sighting from Monsters and Mysteries in America. It happened when he was a young child shopping for school supplies at a store in town. He was told to go to the dressing room but wander off to look at some of the mannequins. The blue albino woman appeared behind him. George felt his breath leave his body, terrified of the cryptid. One of his older family members came to his rescue, demanding the ghost to leave the store. She didn't hesitate and glided away. Despite incurring no physical harm, George said he will never forget that moment. It's worth noting that he never heard stories about the spirit prying to see her in the store. Hmm. Let's see what this is. This case is known as the Bunny Man. The Bunny Man was a mysterious, bizarre urban legend that probably originated from two incidents in Fairfax County, Virginia in 1970, but have been spread throughout Washington, D.C. area as well. There are many variations to the legend, but most involve a man wearing a rabbit costume or a bunny suit who attacks people with an axe. He was wearing a white suit with long bunny ears. Both remember seeing his face clearly, but in the darkness they could not determine his race. Phillips said the man was wearing a gray, black, and white bunny suit that was and was about 20 years old, 5 feet 8 inches tall, and was about 175 pounds. The later has circulated uh, for many years in several forms. A version naming a suspect in specific locations was posted to a website in the late 90s. 90s by Timothy C. Forbes. This version states that in 1904, an asylum prison in Clifton, Virginia was shut down by successful petition from the growing population of residents in Fairfax County. During the transfer of inmates to a new facility, the transport carrying the inmates crashed. Some prisoners escaped, others were not as lucky. A search party found all but one of them. The legend has circulated for years in several forms. A version naming a suspect in specific location was posted to a website by Timothy C. Forbes in the 90. Um, during this time, and there's other versions um, which officially have located the person, but he always uh, nearly escapes before being hit by an oncoming train. So there's a lot of variations of the bunny man. Huh, that's pretty interesting. Hi, Mama L. Good to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Mm, okay, one more before we call it a show. And I might be here tomorrow. Just FYI. I don't know if it'll be at night, but I'll come out because I have to make up for yesterday's show. So um, I might be here tomorrow, possibly in the afternoon. So if you have your uh, alert set up, um, that'll be cool to kind of have an earlier show on a Saturday. Okay, and then I'll be back on Monday. Even though uh, Monday is a holiday, I'll be home and we'll be able to to do an encounter. All right, the last story for tonight was well, pretty short, actually. I wish these, short, these stories were a little bit longer. They're kind of fun. Okay. 
Well, the Pig Lady is a horrific mutant entity that has been sighted on the aptly named Pig Lady Road in Hillsborough, Somerset County. Now, the Pig Lady was supposed to be an old maid who was injured during a fire in a mansion. A fire broke out and this woman was on the second floor and was abandoned by everybody else as they saved themselves. She fell from the second floor, disfiguring her face, and she disappeared to live in the woods. However, there are many different origin stories for the pig lady. The pig lady has been described as resembling a humanoid creature with a horribly deformed pig-like face. A notable encounter uh, in the early 1900s when Hillsborough was, uh, was all farms and vast woods, there lived a lady who resembled the pig. She lived on a farm secluded from civilization because as a child she was picked on and teased constantly. So she vowed never to have that to deal with any kind of torture again. One day as she was gardening, a young boy came along with two of his friends and noticed the pig lady was gardening. The boys made jokes about her hideous pig face and vowed to come back later that night and place a slaughter pig's head on their doorsteps. They went that night and were never heard from again. Years later, As Hillsbury grew in population, the missing teenager's bone were found where her gardens was once. Legend has it that in order for her to come out, you must annoy her by flashing your lights, screaming pig lady, and beeping the horn. Then you must leave someone from the group on the street and drive off without looking back. Once you get to the end of the road, you turn around and go back and see what your friend has witnessed. The whole drive from leaving your friend and coming back takes about 10 minutes. We all admitted of being scared, except for my friend Jen. She was calling us uh, dumb for being scared and taunted by the pig lady. (coughs) So she's the one that actually got out in the car. While we did the routine and sped off, we arrived back and laughing at how scared we all were, except there was no Jen. We thought she was playing a joke, so we got out of the car. My friend Shannon heard crying from a nearby bush. My friend John carried Jen out, and we got into the car in complete silence. After leaving the deserted road, we stopped to get gas. Jane was still crying, and I turned to comfort her. That's when I noticed the scratches on her face, arms, and legs. We dropped her off, and she never spoke to us again. One year later, she moved away to a different town. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, it concludes today's show of Strange Days Live, Strange uh, (laughs) Strange Stories. Uh, hopefully I'll see you guys here today. I plan to be here tomorrow. Uh, I'm kind of tired, guys. Sorry. Uh, I plan to see you guys tomorrow on the show. It might be a little bit early. So keep, uh, keep your um, your little alarms on your YouTube channel, the alerts on. So that way you guys can come back and we can have fun. And you guys can hear more scary, weird stories. Okay? God bless you guys. Be good to one another. And we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.